Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help. Legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 287 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to thank NOTA, powered by M&T Bank. NOTA is banking built for lawyers and provides smart, no-cost IOLTA account management. Visit trustnota.com legal to learn more. That's N-O-T-A, NOTA. Terms and conditions may apply. Next, we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bonds you need, get a quote and purchase online at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And we'd like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And with so many new podcasts announcing their very first episode these days, we occasionally like to mention that at 15 years and counting, this is the longest continuously running legal tech podcast out there. In our last episode, we looked at the current state of legal publishing options online and offline and how you might want to rethink your own approach to publishing in the legal world. In this episode, we decided to revisit cybersecurity and how COVID has changed the cybersecurity landscape and what all we can do to protect ourselves these days. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be talking about cybersecurity, old and new cyber threats, and what we can try to do to protect ourselves and each other. In our second segment, we're going to do another round of our new Hot or Not series. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, um, how or whether COVID has changed cybersecurity, and I think it's going to be how, um, because it's not for the better. I think it's arguable that from a cybersecurity standpoint, 2020 was the worst year on record. Um, Because over the past year, while the rest of the world was taking a break from going into the office, cyber criminals were instead keeping quite busy. And by all accounts, it has been a lucrative year for them, whether state actors are trying to infect the networks of as many American companies as possible or ransomware leading to people hoarding gasoline in plastic bags. The threats just keep on coming. So, Dennis, uh, let's talk about cybersecurity. What in cybersecurity worries you the most these days? Yeah, it's sort of like what what doesn't. So I I think the 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 three big ones out there uh, are first and foremost ransomware. Um, then I think the the sort of lack of of understanding uh, knowledge and good practices on uh, the security involving collaboration and collaboration tools, and. Uh, this availability of scripted attacks on known vulnerabilities, uh, making it very easy for people to use existing vulnerabilities to 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 break into systems, and um, 
that's like a, a killer three right there. We will we'll dive into some more, but um, that's plenty. And like you said, the uh, the cyber criminals, the state actors, uh, everybody's working working overtime. And uh, I agree with you, Tom, with a lot of success. I think. You're right. I think for lawyers and firms, ransomware is the number one threat right now. I think it's been the worst problem. We'll talk about that a little bit more. I really think that the second biggest threat in my mind right now is what I what we would call supply chain or service provider um, threats. You know, the Solar Winds hack um, was a classic attack to try to get to as many companies as possible through a supply chain provider, someone who is in the chain. You only have to infect one to infect a whole lot. That's what here in Texas, that's what happened with uh, a managed services provider who provided IT services to lots of companies, including law firms. Um, just make sure that they've gotten hacked, they've got malware, and you can spread it to as many companies as possible. But I'll tell you, let's bring it down to a very personal level. I am finding threats against me on a daily basis these days. I will tell you that over the past two weeks, and I'm glad we started, we decided to talk about this subject, but over the past two weeks, I've had several emails telling me that I'm trying to recover my Instagram password. So someone's trying to get to my Instagram password, which is interesting. That doesn't quite bother me. The one that bothered me the most was I got an email from LastPass, my password security, saying, it looks like you're trying to do an account recovery. You want to recover your account. Let us help you. Well, I'm glad that I have multi-factor authentication set up. I'm glad that I have a ridiculously hard password on that account. I emailed LastPass to say, should I be doing anything else? They said, nope, you're in good shape. You're fine. They can't recover it because that link is going to you. It's not going to somebody else. But the fact that it's happening, and it's happening more often than it did before, really, I think, shows what this past year has been. I think the number of attacks are starting to step up. Yeah, so I've been thinking about it. Are we just seeing more of the same or, or is this something completely different or, or it's just gone up a level? And so what is happening out there? And I guess that my sense is that it's uh, just taking the existing uh, issues and attacks and kind of moving up, uh, moving them up a notch, evolving them, just getting getting better at them while people have kind of let their guards down. The one exception I would say is I, I listened to a webinar probably about two months ago uh, where Bruce Schneier, this, uh, the cybersecurity expert, was was talking. And I got to tell you, he he really unnerved me uh, with his concern about the, the, the state attacks, uh, namely Russia and China and, and then potentially what our own government is is doing uh, but that that kind of made me realize there's a bunch of vulnerabilities out there and uh, th- there is a lot of exposure out there but some of it just goes back to the you know people, people ransomware has been a big one for f- several years now uh, a lot of these attacks are you know come on known vulnerabilities from systems that aren't updated or as you say people aren't vetting their third party providers uh, the, the whole supply chain thing and then I think as we've been talking about for a few years time about uh, security and collaboration tools but that's, you know, I don't pe- think people pay enough, enough attention to that. And then 
the the phishing attacks and, and what's known as as spear phishing to make it seem you know like very plausible that somebody's reaching out to you. I mean that's become an art form these days, and that has become super dangerous. So I don't know that it's like I said, other than this the state actor thing, which seems like it has caused a lot more concern, it sort of seems like uh, just the, the bad actors have gotten better at all the different techniques and that we as users have gotten lazy. I think people are still the problem. I think if, if you look back at the 2020 ABA Legal Technology Research or Legal Technology Survey that that uh, the Legal Technology Research Center Resource Center does every year, 43% only 43% of lawyers are using file encryption. 40% are using email encryption or two-factor authentication. 30% use full disk encryption on their laptops. Um, this is still just amazing to me. There is just still an a, a Maybe not a lack of awareness, but a lack of understanding uh, that this is important to be doing. So I think that that people are still going to be the most successful attack vector for the hack- hackers to do. I will say, I think that COVID and 2020 was a boon for hackers because security people took their eye off the ball and they spent their time focusing on things like um, how do we get our team up and mobile and working from home? And let's maybe, I, <clears throat> there was a, a, a company called Tanium, I guess. They're a security management provider. They were saying that 93% of companies delayed security projects in 2020 because they had to take care of other things. 43% of them delayed or stopped patching vulnerabilities altogether. And so I think hackers just jumped into that and said, let's take advantage of that situation. I think that hackers are getting better. We're also seeing more things that are subject to being hacked. I'm seeing a lot of things, a lot more biometric information, facial images, bigger target than in the past. Um, I think we're seeing a lot more what we would call zero-day exploits, which is um, flaws that you find in software or hardware that wasn't discovered during testing. Those are growing too. So the number of threats, the number of areas are increasing. um, And when the security folks are busy paying attention to other things, it makes it easy to to, uh, exploit and take advantage of those things. Yeah, I think you're right. When you're focused on just kind of making sure everybody runs, uh, you know, everything is running okay and that people can access remotely, all those kinds of things, then you start to say, well, are we going to make people change their passwords every 30 days? Are we going to do these things? You know, multi-factor authentication, which is such a big help is a pain in the butt, um, you know, it, especially if you have to use like, you know, different authenticator apps for different th- things that you're doing and it's, you know, and you're logged out really quickly. So it feels like you're, you have to do the multi-factor you know, like a couple times a day or, you know, multiple times each week. And so it's just become, uh, you know, sometimes I think people have loosened up some of those practices just because you want to make it convenient convenient for people to work. So I think that, you know, people, I just look and I go, people are still the problem. I mean, we underestimate the issues. We under, we don't, people tend not to think through what the, the bad actors are looking to do, which is kind of get onto your system and then escalate 
uh, you know, what what they're able to do on on your system. And that can be to store things, to use your computer to launch other attacks, you know, to get information. And so sometimes people say, well, I, I don't really have anything that somebody's going to be interested in. And that's not always the case. And and sometimes uh, you're going to have stuff that somebody is going to be vitally interested in. And then also, I don't think we educate ourselves on the biggest current threats. I mean, so one of the things I like to do is I like to pay attention to what the FBI is identifying as the biggest current threats. And it's been easy for the last couple of years because it has been ransomware. But once you know what the big threats are, then you can start to say, I know I can't have 100 percent of defense against everything. But if I can take the precautions against the big things and I can take the simplest precautions, um, I think that's that's going to help me. Um, and those rules have have always been been true. Well, but I think that you're right that to be able to do that, you do have to keep up with things. So let's let's talk really briefly about I mean, using ransomware as the example, the, the, the strongest example of that has been just a few weeks since we or before we decided to record this episode um, with the Colonial Pipeline incident where where Colonial Pipeline had was struck by ransomware. As a result, they had to shut down their whole pipeline. As a result, um, the Southeast basically thought that the world was ending because they went and got all the gasoline they could from every gas station around. And what's interesting is the organization that was responsible for that ransomware is actually a very sophisticated group of hackers. They're called DarkSide. They actually don't exist anymore. They shut down after this, probably because they're now probably on a, on a, on a most wanted list of the CIA. But they, they have their own policies and procedures. They actually have their own code of ethics. And what was interesting about this is they, they were kind of apologetic for this attack. They were, they, and that's probably why they only, I think, accepted $5 million rather than what we're seeing most companies pay these days, 30 or $40 million because their code prevents them from attacking entities that can cause the kind of damage that got caused in this case. So that's how they're evolving. They're evolving to like organizations that have standards and have policies, but it's more than that. So we've learned a little bit about ransomware. We've, we've, we've taught people that backup is important, that, that a lot of companies at the very beginning, they really got killed by ransomware because they didn't have backups, which was just, just incredibly dumb for them not to do. Now people are catching up. They all have the backup. So the ransomware people have taken it a notch up. And what they're doing now is, is that they're off there. They're threatening something that I think is being called docsware, which means that if, if you don't pay, so what if you, if you've got a backup, we're going to release this to the public. We're going to release confidential information um, that, that either is going to hurt you, hurt your customers, hurt somebody. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to get sued out of existence or have all sorts of privacy breaches. And that's what convinces people to pay. So it's getting increasingly sophisticated on how they're handling it. And so I think, Dennis, you're right. Knowing how those threats are evolving, knowing that they're changing, um, should help you know how to better counter them and avoid them. If you're not aware that they can release stuff and start doxing you and, and publishing information, then you're less able to protect yourself. 
Yeah, and that code of ethics on ransomware is, is, is really a kind of fascinating thing where there is sort of uh, an agreement out there that you're not going to take down hospital systems, health systems, you're not going to shut down pacemakers, which would be a pretty high leverage, right, on an individual. Are you going to do other things? But there could be a point where somebody decides, you know, it's the honor among thieves notion. Like, you know, that uh, we're, there are lines we won't cross, but, you know, typically somebody's going to be willing to, in certain situations to cross those lines. So I was thinking, Tom, about what's what's different. And, and I think we've hit on uh, a number of these. So I, th- I think the, the whole work from home, which has expanded the perimeter of, of organizations and their security. So whatever uh, is happening at the at the home offices, let's call them, of, of people is now uh, has an impact, direct impact on your network. Um, and so the fact that if somebody's using shared computers, other things at home, you have your kids on them, those sorts of things. Um, now that becomes part of it. Uh, we've we've talked in the past, and we'll continue to talk about uh, collaboration tools. Uh, so you're just connected to everything and somebody's poor security on a document sharing uh, uh, service or other things uh, can cause problems for you. The state, the role of state actors. Um, I, I recommend that people do some reading on that because it's uh, it is disturbing some of the the, the compromises that have hap- have happened and uh, the vulnerabilities out there. And then I then I think there's this whole notion of of toolkits out there. You know, that you can get set up as, uh, you know, a ransomware uh, in the ransomware business and just get toolkits. And there's something that's called uh, Revil, uh, R-E-V-I-L, which has been described as ransomware as a service. Uh, so in the same way you have software as a service, so I, I can just use this service in a platform and use it to launch my ransomware attack. So, uh just a lot of things going out there, lots of vulnerabilities. And, and I think that, you know, like I said, phishing has just become uh, so sophisticated uh, these days. Uh, so those are the things I see that are different. I don't know, that's a, kind of a long list, Tom. I don't know whether you have others to add to or maybe we should jump into what are the things we need to do now. I, no, I don't have anything to add, but I, I think you're right. I think phishing has become very successful. But the interesting thing about phishing is, is that you have, you know, 5,000 people in your firm or your company and 4,999 people know the better, know what to do. And that one person clicks on a link. Well, they're in unless you have managed, you know, designed your security so that um, one person doesn't decide the whole thing, then you're in better shape. But uh, it doesn't take very much to be able to get into these things. It can just take one dumb person, um, depending on who that is, getting in, uh, get it, doing the wrong thing. And I think that there are still very much common sense things that lawyers need to be doing to protect themselves just at a, at a basic level. And I don't think that has really changed much, if at all, since the last time we talked about this. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, your big thing is just kind of know the standard security playbook and then actually act on it. I mean, it's like 
strong passwords, multi-factor authentication, install security updates, read the news about what's going on. So like if you're reading the news these days, then you would say, you know what? Law firms are still uh, considered a, ta- a soft target. There have been law firms that have uh, apparently suffered ransomware attacks and paid, paid the ransom. Um, you see other things going on. The Colonial Pipeline thing is is just going to be uh, something that attracts other people to to try this because five million dollars is is five million dollars. And then uh, you you mentioned before this this whole notion of you know uh, realizing that backup is is part of your approach to security. So when I see that somebody's been shut down by ransomware or they have to pay the ransom, I immediately think they just don't have good backup or they may not have any backup. And sometimes that's unfair. And Tom has mentioned this, you know, people uh, blackmailing with the release of sensitive documents. So there are other ways they they can get you. But that is, was a lot of the issue was there were, uh, you know, a problem with the backup system and the ransomware just took people out and they had no way to get the data, the data back. Yeah, I think early on, that was a major issue. I think that a lot of people have gotten the the, the message and have started to back up more, but I'm sure nowhere near as many as as need to um, need to do that. Yeah, and I one that uh, organizations uh, have been doing that I like is the phishing training, Uh, even like sending out these emails and then seeing who clicks on things, you know, who identifies it and reports this is a potential phishing attack, those sorts of things. And then doing the follow-up training on that. I think that can be really helpful. I mean, as Tom said, that if it only takes one person, you know, to click on something and it's going to cause a problem for everybody. Typically in the phishing training, what I have seen happen and have heard happen is that the people People at the top are the ones who are are the problem when you send out those those fake phishing letters or emails, and typically they aren't punished, which sends a message to the rest of their organization that security isn't being taken seriously, and so you need to have a whole plan there. I think the other thing these days is that um, it's pretty clear that uh, in ransomware attacks that a lot of people are just paying. And um, I heard recently that even if you pay, you might get 50% of your information back. You might get it back uh, in a corrupted form. You might not get it back at all. And you might have another uh, attack coming at you in a, in a few months. But you probably need to have some kind of ransomware game plan, um, I think, is, is really important these days. And I think that that includes looking at cyber risk insurance. I think that includes now, depending on uh, probably the audience that we're talking to doesn't have to worry about this, but you know there are there are ransomware negotiators out there. They are known to the hackers who are doing this because they the insurance companies call these folks in to then negotiate to the hackers down and say, hey, it's me, it's Bob. Uh, hey, Bob, how you doing? Good to talk to you again. Um, amazing that we're kind of in that world, but I think that being able to not only have good insurance if you need it. I mean, I think that's part of the reason why some of this money is getting paid because there is insurance available to do it. But I think there's also uh, the need to understand, I think part of that ransomware game plan 
especially if they're going to release the information, especially if you know something rises to the level of what I would consider a data breach um, because that information is going away, is to understand that incident response, similar to ransomware, is not just about containing the security issues. It's also about containing your reputational issues as well. It's about making sure that you are communicating with the regulators. It's communicating with the bar, communicating with whoever you need to, to do, but also communicating with the public to the extent you need to, your clients to the extent you need to, because if you don't, you know, one of the, one of the suspicions about uh, the, the, L, the LTRC ABA survey is that most law firms aren't actually reporting when things are happening. They're, they're hiding it. That most have been the victim of some type of hacking, maybe even ransomware, and they're, whole, they're, they're hiding it. I think that as this becomes more prominent, it's going to be more important to have a good game plan on how to protect your reputation when this comes out, because they're going to start to come out more often, I think, especially if information starts getting released. Right. And, and you do need a multifaceted uh, approach to incident response, you know, because there's uh, a lot of lot of moving parts. There's a you have to make decisions about who you're going to work with, uh, wh who you need to share information with, uh, what you need to release. Uh, I'm a little bit. Uh, I understand the importance of of cybersecurity insurance, but the fact is, with ransomware that uh, if your business is shut down and nobody can work because your whole system is in fact shut down by the ransomware people, um, your insurance is only gonna do so much for you at the time. Uh, so you need to kind of think, okay, there are, you know, there have to be different layers to this and some of them have to be very practical. I think another big thing is to understand how each of the attacks are, each of the, the main categories attack work and what the goals are. So if you have, there's a denial of service attack, then they're, they're trying to take you offline so people can access you. Other things are meant to come into your system and lay embedded in there for, for a time to either harvest information or to continue to open up a trap door. Other things are, you know, ransomware is designed to get you to pay money in an untraceable way. So understanding the basic attacks and the goals of those, those attacks happen and then Tom, I think this is sort of, uh, you touch on this area in, in your work to, to some extent, I think. But once you have an incident, like how do you respond to that? How do you know what might have been touched, what you need to do, who you need to inform? And so that, that incident response uh, piece is very important, especially as we get more and more often confusing data privacy laws and requirements of, of reporting those incident responses. So let's finish this out by maybe talking about, you know, how how do you keep up to date with this? I think that there's so many really technical sources out there that it's hard to, you know, that some of those things um, you may, might be over our heads. They might be things that, that, that your IT people need to understand, but maybe lawyers don't need or, or, or shouldn't have to worry about. So what are, I guess... Let's talk about kind of what our favorite resources are. I will give I will give four out and put make sure I put links in the show notes. Um, our friends 
Our friends um, Sharon Nelson and John Simic do a great job talking about security. John on his blog, Your IT Consultant, Sharon on her blog, Ride the Lightning, both of them on their podcast, Digital Detectives. They do a great job of talking about security for lawyers and keeping people up to date. I will tell you, I am a big fan of the Cyber Law podcast. It's done by the lawyers at Steptoe and Johnson. Um, they do a weekly update, and it's a little bit more law-related, and they talk a lot about legislation, but they talk about what's happening and new trends and new things that are happening both with the threats and what we're doing to com combat them. But it's more from a law perspective. So I, th I think you're getting a little bit of a mix of education about the bad stuff, but also kind of what law and what lawyers and what the government and other governments are doing about it. Um, I do like Brian Krebs. He's a, a, a good security person to follow on Twitter. Those are my kind of those are kind of my favorite resources. Any that you like in particular, Dennis? We'll have one in the parting shots, which I'll, I'll save for that. But I, I think that what we've just talked about, you know, standard playbook, backup, you know, multi-factor, all those things, um, if you just go back and listen to, to this podcast again, you're going to pick up a lot because we've synthesized a lot of that. I think the main thing for me is just kind of, being aware of what's happening in the news, you know, on on the cybersecurity level, and then looking at uh, when new updates are released, especially f you know with the with the Apple OS and and with Windows, understanding what it is they're patching will give you a clue. And and I also say to me, if you're in an organization that's still running Windows Seven or these 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 programs. Are, aren't being supported anymore, you really have to start to question what the heck is going on there. So uh, some of those things are out there. And I think that uh, I'll make this point um, and I'll make it because I'm going to teach a, a new class in the fall uh, on cybersecurity and data protection. But I really think if there's anything that's required by the the tech competence uh, ethics rule. I think the cybersecurity has to be a piece of that um, in terms of confidentiality, uh, relevant technology, and uh, you know actually doing good work for your clients. Cybersecurity is integral in all of that. The only thing that I'll add to finish up is I'm really encouraged by new trends and kind of possible scenarios in improving security and making things better. So here are some terms and things to think about. We've talked about passwordless, a passwordless world. Google's working on it. Microsoft's working on it. Everybody's trying to get away from passwords. I think that's part of the problem why security is so hard is that we have to remember long, complicated passwords that are different for every site. I think we're, we're still making our way towards that. There's something out there now called zero knowledge proof, which is kind of a, I would consider it a mind-bending approach to security that allows you to verify your identity without having to actually reveal who you are. I'm fascinated by it. I think it's kind of something that's coming. It's going to be very interesting. Um, something that's been here for a while, but is not getting used enough, in my opinion, is something called zero trust. If you listen to John and Sharon talk, they talk a lot about zero trust. Um, and it's really the basic idea is that devices should not be trusted by default. You know, for example, your bank might not recognize the device that you're logging in from, but once you authenticate it, 
you're fine. And so it's it's an idea that nothing trusts anything and that's zero trust. The one that is the most fascinating to me is this idea that companies are, that security companies are coming up with that they call misinformation moats, M-O-A-T-S, like the old time moats around a castle. You build a moat full of bad data, full of misinformation, full of malware, and the hackers get to it. It's surrounding the, the, the crown jewels. It's surrounding the castle with all the good stuff. But when they get to the moat, they think they've struck it rich and they download all that stuff and they're done with it. I am fascinated by that. I would love to see it happen. I just haven't heard any stories where that's going on. But I'm encouraged by the way that the good guys are finding to combat some of these ideas. Um, they're trying to help you out. I think you should try and help yourself out by following some of the tips that we've got in today's show. Can I scare people with one more thing, Tom? Sure. So one of the things that's super interesting to me is that as we move toward, and we've talked about this on our earlier podcast, but sort of uh, fake video and fake audio, that if, if somebody can get into your system and basically get audio files of your CEO's voice and other things like that, or even video, they can create these fake things and uh really do some damage with that. So there's a lot out there. Um, so that, that's on the, on the one hand. And then also remember that people are doing all kinds of stuff with biometrics, location, combinations of those things uh, to help identify who you are and then figure out what authority you actually have and, and really keeping you limited to the authority that you have. And so consider yourself appropriately scared. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a message from our sponsors. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A excellent by AM Best. So you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. You went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnota.com legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. It's time for a new segment we call Hot or Not. We pick something people are talking about and argue whether we think it is hot or not. We might agree. The odds are we won't, although the odds maybe today are that we will. And we want your feedback on the segment, of course. So let's get started. Tom, Notion announced its API. All right, so this is a, maybe a little inside baseball for the people who haven't been following our second brain series. Um, but I will say that for users of Notion, incredibly hot. 
and long overdue. Um, I would say that um, for those of you who aren't using Notion and have no interest in it, Probably not at all, but let's talk about it a little bit. So we've talked about the idea of using Notion as a second brain. One of the requirements to do that, one of the things that makes a second brain what it is, is the ability for you to um, get information in there in a way that's easy, that's not manual, that's not having to force you to do stuff uh, and contort yourself to get information in there. It should just work. You should say, I like that tweet. I want it to go into Notion. I like that blog post. I want it to go into Notion. I love that podcast. I want Notion to, to be storing it. The way that you do that is through well, an API, and Dennis can talk more about the technology if you want to, but I'll just say it's something that connects, the, it connects Notion with other tools. Up until now, Notion hasn't had one. They finally have one, and they've really needed it for some time. And frankly, it really opens up the power of this tool, I think. And I think what's also hot is that it's available to anyone, whether you're using the free plan or the pay plan. So I like that. I like that anybody can use the, 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 uh, the API. There are two websites that I think you should pay attention to right now. Zapier, I think we've got a lot of listeners who probably are familiar with Zapier. They have a huge number of integrations that go in with Notion. Just type in an app you're using and it likely integrates with Notion. Another one that is interesting that I was not very familiar with until this is called automate.io. Um, the argument is that may be a better site than Zapier because it's cheaper than Zapier if you're going to use some of the pay services to do the integration. Um, if you aren't using any of those tools, you're going to need to learn a little bit of coding, but uh, not anything tremendous. I was going to give some examples, but to be quite honest, there are so many tools that can link to Notion. You should just go to those sites, to Zapier or Automate.io and see. It looks like it's going to connect to hundreds, if not thousands, of applications. So if you've got information somewhere, you want to get into Notion, then head over to those places, see what's included. Um, and if this isn't enough to get you interested in Notion, then I don't know what else we can do because we're really enjoying making it our second brain. Dennis, how do you feel about it? Well, I, I kind of chose this because it's as close. Uh, you did a tweet that's as close as you can come to cheering out loud when you tweet uh, that when when you heard about this. And I, I agree with you. I mean, so for those of us who, who aren't familiar with APIs and what they do, so I think it's more what they do that counts as opposed to how, you know, how they do it in, in some of those details. But if you want to say, I'm on Twitter and I like something and uh, then it automatically could go into Notion into, uh, you know, a folder or a document that says here are everything I've liked in Twitter and then becomes searchable and usable in, in Notion. Um, and I start to automate these things. So I'm getting multiple things that happen when I do one thing. And that's what you can do. Some of the things you can do with Zapier, other things like that. And you're going, like, oh, this is a way that I can start to in our second brain Notion say all the stuff that's interesting to me that's some something to know in the idea of it's a note or something I want to remember or store to use in a different way that gets automated and I think um, if you want to use Notion as the base for all of this, which which is what Tom and I are exploring, this this is the news that we've been been waiting for. So uh, super hot, but maybe just for Notion users, but it's a, it would give you a good introduction to both Notion and APIs once you see how it works. So now it's time for a parting shots at one tip, website or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. 
So I had one t- parting shot that got expanded to two because we're recording this the first day that Google is having its annual I.O. conference, and they had a, a related announcement that I want to mention. They're both around Google Photos. So if you're a Google Photos user, I realize that I've been keeping all of my photos in Google Photos. I love it to death, but I realize that I don't have a separate backup of that. I just assume, well, Google will have it. But then somebody made a good point that you need an extra backup of your photos. I agree that. That's necessary, but I don't want to spend a lot of time organizing it. I just want it to be a place where I can back up my photos too. So what I've decided to do is use the Google Takeout service. So Google Takeout allows you to basically export a copy of any of your Google content and put it anywhere that you want to. And what I really, really liked about it for photos is, is that I can set up an automatic export to happen once every two months for a year. I probably have to renew it at the end of the year. But what I like is, is that every two months, I'm going to get a new backup where I can replace the old one. I'm just storing those backups in my OneDrive account as my other backup of my photos. But it is set it and forget it. And all I really need to do is move it over to that OneDrive account. To me, that works perfectly. I'm enjoying that. Google Takeout, I think, is a great service. And I like that feature. The new announcement that came up today is something I, I, I like the Notion API. I think is long overdue. And that is that Google Photos is now offering um, to give you a what they call a secure folder to store what you would consider to be your private photos, things that you don't want to be shown in, in, in photo albums or to come, you know, if you've got a, a smart, a smart hub and, and you've got it on your kitchen, uh, uh, kitchen counter, and all of a sudden a photo comes up that you really don't want other people to see, this is the way to do it. So there's going to be a secure folder where you can put those things. You get to see those photos, but nobody else has to. I think it's a great idea. It just took a long time for Google to get to it. Dennis, what about you? Well, I'm going to give my go-to source on uh, on cybersecurity, and it's a website slash blog called uh, Schneier on Security, S-H- or S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R, Bruce Schneier, uh, well, very well-known, respected cybersecurity expert, also a great writer um, and who does a great job of explaining things. And uh, the blog is great for new developments and, and for, for learning about security, uh, not legal focus, but it's it's good on everything. And like I said, I learned a lot about the, the current state of uh of uh, what we some might think of as the you know, as, as cyber warfare uh, on uh, recently from Bruce and in, in this site. So www.schneier.com. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, reach out to us on LinkedIn. Or remember, you can send us a voicemail for our B segment. We'd love to get voicemails at 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us at Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. 
And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.